You're listening to Consolidate That. Ukraine is my motherland. It is now under a savage attack by Russia. Ukraine is shielding Europe and the rest of the civilized world from Putin's barbaric aggression. Ukrainians are brave and effectively fighting back. Let's help. Make a donation to Armed Forces of Ukraine. Link is in the show notes. Hashtag Stand with Ukraine. Welcome back to Consolidate That. Ivan, I'm very excited for our guest. We've got a guest from outside Galaxy Vets today, bringing us back to our roots. So really, really excited to to hear from uh, from Taylor. So why don't you introduce her and, and let everyone know who we have today? Yeah, excited about today's episode. I'm Ivan Zach. Well, outside of uh, Galaxy, but not uh, outside of industry. So, uh, so I'm excited to introduce a colleague of mine, Dr. Taylor Miller. Uh, Dr. Taylor is a 2010 graduate of the Oregon State College of Veterinary Medicine and a professional counselor associate in the state of Oregon. She joined Not One More Vet, the organization that everybody knows, as a volunteer on their student support and mentorship committee and accepted a position of the board of directors in January of this year. She strongly believes education and wellness topics are normalizing conversation around the mental health will help veterinary professionals manage the challenges of their demanding careers and preserve the joy and passion that drew them into the field. Dr. Taylor, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's really exciting to meet other people who are so interested in the well-being of the veterinary profession and coming at it from an angle that I don't get to spend much time on. So I'm really thrilled to be collaborating. So the topic that we wanted to uh, to discuss today is the pandemic era communication challenges in veterinary medicine. So with that, can we probably open up with uh, what do you think uh, is the major impact of how, how we started to work in pandemic, the curbside uh, assistance and things that changed the way we practice vet medicine and how, how did that change the communication style? Absolutely. So there are plenty of things that everyone I'm sure has recognized on their own, the lack of nonverbal communication when we have this distance between us and our clients, Um, the phone calls, the increase in masked interactions. So we lose a lot of those facial cues. Tone of voice can even be obscured, especially in those mask-to-mask moments. Physical engagement with a client. So if we think of the times, the number of times we're in an exam and we're saying, see, look at this. This is why we need to do the x-ray because watch, when I when I position your dog like this, he limps or he yelps or this happens. And we lose that ability to interface with a client with their animal. And so we lose some of the I don't want to say trust necessarily, but we lose some of the buy-in for what we're trying to accomplish when an owner can't see what we are seeing in the moment we're seeing it in the exam room with their pet. So that that curbside distancing has changed the degree or that benchmark that we have to meet in order to get that buy-in from a client into our medical plan, into a treatment plan where they can't watch us demonstrate treatment modalities. So all of these things, I suspect, are are fairly obvious when reflected upon. Um, but the piece that I want to bring in today is the mental health impact that we are seeing on conversation and our ability to communicate. So we have all these barriers. And so what we need to accomplish when we have these barriers is an elevated level of communication. 
And one of the things that's getting in the way is stress and anxiety in particular. And stress and anxiety impact communication and decrease our ability to have clear communication right at the moment when we need it most because we have all these other barriers we're trying to overcome. So do we um, do we have any evidence-based sort of data? Is there, were there any surveys done uh, to, to sort of, you know, kind of confirm or get a little bit of a baseline of how people think that particular aspect of it, like the masks, the curbside, the inability to, you know, show the visual cues. Is there any sort of, is it all anecdotal or is there some sort of a research that's, that's uh, gathered that information? There's definitely some anecdotal information, but we also have a really illuminating study by the CDC. They survey the general population with regard to anxiety and depression every year. And in the 2019 survey period, it is self-report. So there is that confounding factor, but there was a self-report of about 8% of individuals demonstrating at least one symptom of a depressive or an anxiety disorder. 8% in 2019, before our pandemic, before everything got going. In 2021, that rate was closer to 41%. We moved from 8% to 41%. So that's two in every five people are demonstrating or self-reporting at least one symptom from a depressive or an anxiety disorder. So if we consider that we as professionals might be one of those two people, and our client might be the other one of those um, two people in one of our five-person group, then the impact of too stressed or anxious people, and not just, I didn't have a good morning, but I am deeply anxious about the state of the world. I am deeply anxious about the situation that I find myself in. That anxiety is going to impact that communication in a very profound manner. So one of the things that happens with anxiety is our amygdala, that portion of our brain that acts as a threat detector. Our amygdala gathers information from our environmental cues on a consistent basis, and it tells us what we need to be concerned about. It gives us that information from the environment and it says, this is soothing, this is entertaining, this is relaxing, this is threatening. And when it comes up with something that it perceives as threatening, it wants our action to be foremost. And in order for action to be foremost, our critical thinking brain, that mammalian part of our brain that says, oh, I need to evaluate that. I need more information. Let me gather more details. It doesn't want us to overthink a situation in which we might be in danger. So it shuts down our critical thinking skills. It shuts down our rational brain so that we act instead of consider. And in that moment, when the amygdala overrides our higher level brain, our higher level thinking processes, we respond from the gut. And often in that threatening situation, say our pet is sick, say we have some concerns about finances, say we have just had a difficult drive, we're late for our appointment, we've been told we have to wait another 30 minutes. These are all stressors. But if we are acting from a place of threat, we are going to be short-tempered, defensive, irritable, aggressive. We might be trying to control the situation. Does this sound like an unfriendly client, perhaps? 
And this is all coming from a place of dysregulation in the brain because we are under this constant threat from COVID and from the pandemic. And it may sound unreasonable to say that we are actively threatened now, especially as we are seeing case numbers decrease. But the the media, those clickbait headlines, even if we don't recognize each individual clickbait headline as being threatened, the accumulation of the news that we are receiving is one of threat. The state of the world has many examples of things that can be threatening. And simply having to deal day in and day out with these changing ideas of how am I going to be safe today, especially in the in the middle of the pandemic, every other week we had to change best practice, right? That shifting equilibrium is threatening to a body that wants stability. You know, our very basic body, our, our inner lizard that wants everything stable and settled, doesn't like the upheaval that comes with with the pandemic, with each new variant that's coming through, which each new um, shelter at home recommendation or not shelter at home, curbside versus in-person versus distanced, all of these shifting recommendations tell us that we can't trust our world. And when we can't trust our world, something must be threatening. So this is all subconscious, or maybe it is conscious, and there's a very significant level of anxiety that is related um, for a particular person. But much of this is subconscious, and yet it shifts that set point in our body from when we decide to go into a state of threat and when we decide to act from a place of calm. I was going to say it's something, it's very interesting how you're talking about this because it's something that Ivan and I have talked about before quite a bit, and there's a, a great book, Sell Anything by Oren Cliff. He talks about the croc brain and how that's what everyone, you need to appeal to people's croc brain because they need to be able to process it. So it's neat to hear you talk about the little lizard inside of us because that's exactly <laughs> what they're talking about. And um, it's it's unique because a lot of times in the veterinary industry, you know, I come from a sales background. Um, a lot of the veterinary industry isn't thinking of the sales side of it, but even getting someone to do a procedure that you know is in the best interest of the pet really does fall on some sales or some convincing or understanding. And so it's neat to to look at it in that same croc brain versus, you know, and lizard brain, flight, fight or flight and all of that. So um, I hadn't thought of it as being elevated, though, in the current state. So that's really, really insightful and helpful to, to hear. Absolutely. Well, and you're completely right. And sales is, of course, a dirty word in the veterinary industry because it implies that we are trying to take advantage somehow. And of course not. It's simply retreating to a place where communication is the highest order of the day rather than medicine. And those communication skills that help somebody come into our camp that tell them that what we're doing together is best for their pet, like you were saying, um, require some of those skills that we never had a chance to learn in vet school. And we had, or at least I'll speak for myself, I had a communication class that was one hour, once a week for one term. And we were told how to talk about euthanasia, and we were told how to handle a client who was um, very displeased with us. And I honestly don't remember a single thing from that class. So either it was not impactful or I was not paying attention because I didn't realize how important it was. 
could be one of those two things. But those communication skills, especially when we take into account where somebody else is coming from. So like you said, that croc brain, I love that. If the croc brain is dominant, the first level of communication has to be about calm, reassurance, collaboration, buy-in, convincing someone of our honesty and good intentions. One of the most fascinating things about that brain that is in a state of anxiety, a state of threat, fight, flight, is we lose the ability to read facial cues and pick up on tone of voice. And we've already had problems with these, right? Because we're wearing masks or we're distancing. But think of how often we use our tone of voice to convince somebody that we are honest, compassionate, empathetic. And if we take a moment and think about the actual words we're saying. If the words that we're saying are said in a robotic tone of voice, do they still convey empathy? Maybe not. Maybe we're relying entirely on, oh, Mrs. Jones, I'm so sorry to hear that Fluffy is feeling poorly. Empathetic tone of voice. Oh, Mrs. Jones, I'm so, so sorry to hear that Fluffy is feeling, feeling sad. That kind of sounds snarky almost. But someone who is activated, who is really anxious, may not be able to pick up on those differences in tone, which means we may come across as snarky. And if somebody is truly receiving us as snarky, are we surprised they respond with, with defensiveness or with aggravation? And we pick up on that aggravation and we assume that it is directed at us somehow. And so we become defensive. The conversation just deteriorates from there. But if we take a moment and think, if they are having trouble hearing me, what are some ways where I can enhance my communication by perhaps saying out loud, I can really feel that you are having trouble with Fluffy's diagnosis. It looks to me, it sounds to me like this is really hard for you. Can you tell me if I'm on track? Am I, am I anticipating everything that you need to know about Fluffy? Is there anything else that would help you today? I understand today's been really hard for you. Even if we take tone of voice out of that, we've still got more content for a client to latch onto that demonstrates empathy or honesty or compassion. So that's one of those pieces that we can use to leverage this situation, knowing that those facial cues are down, knowing that our tone of voice is not being interpreted correctly. That's one of the ways that we can get over this barrier that might be occurring because of this mental health struggle, this anxiety and threat level. I love when you talked about the sales uh, people and uh, could be perceived as something dirty because Ryan is a sales uh, person by uh, his yeah. long-term career. So that's how I usually refer to him, the dirty man. <laughs> I, that's why I do a podcast because I don't have to shower before it. <laughs> so, uh, but that's, you know, it's, I'm, I'm joking, of course, because Ryan is a phenomenal person in building relationships and that's what yes. it is about. And that's why, that's why I don't like that veterinary medicine first things that we're not salespeople because it's and you know I, I specifically recorded how you phrase it because it's people don't want to feel that they were talking to a salesperson and that they were taken advantage of when i buy a new car i don't come home and say to my wife i was just taken advantage of i'm happy that i bought a car or you know anything else so being sold something is not being taken advantage but as veterinarian i'm with you because we think that this is something negative in the meantime when i you know my transformation in my career from veterinarian to business and to technology and everything else was all about sales it's about how do you sell yourself um you know when you're at the bar talking to someone you're selling yourself you you know this is everything is sales everything is sales 
especially veterinary medicine, because when you're relaying the information to someone, which you then collect payment for, you're selling how you not only understand what's going on, but also how do you how convincing you are in what you're concluding. So it is sales, 100%. And we want to be salespeople and we want to be good salespeople. That's and if somebody thinks that it's a myth, it's not right. Uh, I wanted to demystify that because we're all salespeople and every day of our lives. But with that, uh, I wanted to touch on another thing, my, you know, large portion of my career was in improving operational efficiency. And the hardest part, uh, let's say when we uh, were implementing SmartFlow in more than 650 hospitals, what you see is the biggest resistance is change. So when you're asking people to change workflows, when you're asking people to change something like uh, their habits, they get into a state of uncertainty and panic. And uh, especially if they don't have the motivator to change or they don't believe in motivator. Mm -hmm. That's why the whole science is around, well, I shouldn't call it science, probably among the veterinarians, but the, the art of change management exists uh, because you need to get the early buy-in, you need people to believe in what's going on, and then they're cruising through change without any anxiety. So as you were talking about, I fully agree with a lack of facial you know, expressions that are not available through a mask and everything else. But I'm also thinking, is it also the tremendous change that continuously happens because of different protocols, different regulations, different uh, variant? You can, you know, all of that stuff was a forced change. Nobody had a buy-in into this. And then the veterinarians mm -hmm. that learned for 10 years or eight years in the vet school, uh, well, for in vet school, but anyway, we're getting education for a long time, how to conduct veterinary medicine. All of a sudden, someone tells them that's not how you do it now because you have to do it this way. So I'm comfortable in emergency. If you ask me to talk about tick and flea prevention, I get anxiety and I'm not convincing because <laughs> I know how to remove a spleen in 60 seconds. I don't know how to, no, I, sh I know how to treat fleas, but I don't have a talk track. I don't have a talk <laughs> track for, uh, you know, anything preventative. So is it also on top of that our anxiety is raised because we are losing our stable workflows, stable talk tracks and stable workflow, you know, curbside assistance is not how I used to do it. So now I need to modify how I communicate, but also my steps in the process are mixed in my brain. And then that lack of convincing potentially coming from that. So that's just kind of something I was thinking about, but I wanted to get your opinion on this. Absolutely. And it's wonderful. That's not a specific element that I had thought about, but of course that's going to add to the conversation, the confusion in the conversation. And that lack of a talk track, I like how you phrase that because yes, you ask me about fleas and I could probably fall asleep and still give a convincing argument about why a certain flea medication is absolutely ideal. Um, but being popped out of that talk track, especially since it's probably also over the phone now, and the client may be in the car, may be driving, they may, they may not be paying as close attention. And we lose the, the demonstration ability. Oftentimes, we're able to appoint to a pet. See, look at this red spot right here. This is why I'm talking about this. So we have our visual aids that we've also lost in those talk tracks. And we are also navigating conversations that were never part of our talk tracks. We've had a lot of people, or I've spoken with a lot of people, who've talked about how much of their client communication time is taken up with why are you curbside? And so not only is there a need to reinforce a client um, veterinarian relationship, take care of the pet's medical 
problem and set up future visits. But there's also a almost a defensive conversation that has to be had about about what happens when viruses spread and why it's not okay to have 17 people in one hour traipse through our hospital that are novel and why we're wearing masks and why can't you come into the hospital. And so there's this whole other conversation that we don't have good practice in that's defensive from the beginning that once we get through that that conversation, everybody's on edge and anxious already. So even if you do have a talk track that you're ready to deploy, you've started from a bad place. You've started from a place of distrust because people have different perceptions of what is threatening or not threatening in the pandemic. And maybe they arrive and feel it's completely unreasonable that you're still curbside and they don't understand and they they feel somehow, I don't want to use that phrase, taken advantage of again, but that we are being unreasonable. And if I already think that my veterinarian is being unreasonable because they won't let me in the clinic, and that's the mental tone that I walk into a conversation about medicine with, you're going to have to be particularly convincing and authentic and compassionate to get by in something even as simple as a flea medication, because I'm starting off the conversation in a defensive, non-cooperative way because because our politics don't line up, perhaps. Oh, yeah. Um, layer politics on top of that. How the oh, yeah. Facing the freedom. And <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, I think that there's multi-factors that are adding to it. So do you think overall that combination of things is also affecting the quality of life for veterinarians? Because, you know, as an organization, not more, one more vet, we are part of sponsors and, and supporters for sure. Uh, do you think that uh, all of that contributes to the quality of life of veterinarian? And our problem with the burnout and anxiety leading to burnout is also getting worse because of all of that. Absolutely. If you ask somebody what their biggest stressors are these days, and I do a lot of speaking and presentations, so I have an opportunity to talk to people all over the country and all over the world, and I hear the same two things. This is anecdotal, but I hear the same two things over and over and over. My hospital is understaffed because pandemic has shifted who is able to work, when they're able to work, and how they're able to work. Pet ownership is up, so we have a mismatch between available services and number of patients requesting services. So I'm overworked and client communications are hard right now. They're harder than they've ever been. And it's hard to feel that you are an effective veterinarian if you can't feel as if you've made a difference in a family unit, which includes the pet. Obviously, the goal is to make a pet healthy and happy. And one of the ways we do that is by creating buy-in from the client and fostering that relationship so that we know the pet's well-being is cared for beyond the point that we get to see it. And if we can't feel that that's happening, if we don't get buy-in, if we don't get rechecks, if we don't get, if we don't get the, the comfort of knowing that our pet, once it leaves our hospital, is being given its medication twice a day, is having its insulin managed well, is following up with the specialist that we recommended. If we can't be sure that that's happening, one, we're not going to feel as effective. And two, conflict is just awful. I mean, why would we want to engage in in conflict on a daily basis. And that's what's happening when we get these barriers that we can't overcome is that each day feels like a battle and it's hard enough to practice medicine for many other reasons. And adding in that daily battle is going to be extraordinarily draining. So Dr. Miller, I, I was going to ask one final thing. I know we're, we're running up on our end of time here, but there's one thing that's, I know both of our organizations are really passionate about is, uh, 
a petition we've put out to add a level of care to the veterinary oath and a level of self-care to that. I'd love to hear if that's something that, um, you know, not one more vet is still where you guys are on it. If it's something that we want to keep all working to push and, you know, and, and put a plug for the petition to, to add that, that language to the veterinary oath. Yes. Last half hour, we've been talking about the importance of communication and the importance of language and our veterinary oath. We only say it formally once, but it sticks with you. It's something that that truly is a basis of how we present ourselves in the professional world. And being healthy people in the veterinary world is only going to benefit our pets, is only going to benefit our clients, and is only going to benefit ourselves and our colleagues. So there's absolutely no downside to being healthier people. And we need to have an approach to our profession that exemplifies that, that supports that that imparts the importance of that in our profession. And that's what I think the the oath needs to encompass as well. We need to have language in the oath that that points out the importance of what we're trying to do here. And if we can't be healthy, we're not going to do the good that we can in this profession. Amen. Um, well, as Ryan said, we're running up on, on time. Um, is there a book TED Talk or YouTube video or anything that inspired you recently or not recently, but still left an impact that you would like to recommend to our listeners? The Willpower Instinct um, by Kelly McGonigal is actually one of my favorite books. It's one of the first books that I read that emphasized how our natural inclinations might be exactly opposite of helpful. And it's a wonderful, very approachable book about what willpower is and isn't. And the strategies that we employ to improve our willpower are often counterintuitive in terms of what's actually been demonstrated to be effective versus what we think is helpful. Excellent. Thank you for that recommendation. Thank you for that. One question that we always additionally like to ask is if there is a guest that you would recommend, somebody that is in the industry that would be beneficial or, or great for our listeners to hear from as well. I've recently become enamored with my colleague, Erica Lynn Hindle. They are also a member of the NAMVI board and they are deeply invested in diversity and inclusion in our industry. And it is something that I have not thought about as much as I should have, obviously. And they do a wonderful job of demonstrating how focusing on that DEI perspective in our hospitals can enrich our experience as veterinarians, as well as support those individuals who don't fit the white heterosexual mold. That's very interesting because in our recent study on burnout, which showed 9.4% elevation in burnout in our industry, uh, we had the slice by gender and we had we had male, female, and non-conforming. So females were burned out more than males and non-conforming, although representing only 1%, uh, but in 1,600 people, that's I think that's significant. Uh, the non-conforming uh, slice was was more burned out than male or female. So that's, uh, that's definitely a very important area that we should uh, focus on as well as we're thinking about the burnout and anxiety and and everything that we believe in so uh thank you so much for finding the time dr miller and uh thank you for all the insight uh, i think it's very important to understand that the communications are the key in the uh in our profession and they can significantly affect our state of mind yes, well thank you for the opportunity and thank you for the good work that you do our industry needs it thank you 
Thank you so much for listening to Consolidate That. If you want to hear our new episodes, please find us on any podcast platform. Also, you can learn more about us on our website at vetintegrations.com.